This is Business by the Bay, here to discuss challenges businesses face and possible solutions. Your host, Ajay Sani. Good afternoon and welcome everyone to Business by the Bay, where we talk to successful business leaders and discuss various challenges businesses face and also possible solutions. I'm Ajay Sani and today's show is sponsored by Payroll Vault. It is a boutique-style local payroll service provider for small businesses. Payroll Vault fully handles the payroll tasks and take over complex payroll activity from the business owners and are also helping qualified businesses get ERC, Employee Retention Credit. The credit is up to $5,000 per employee for 2020 and up to $7,000 per employee for the first three quarters in 2021. For details, please call Payroll Vault at 925-273-7020. Today, I would encourage if there are you know, any business owners listening, tuning in, they should not miss this because with me in the studio is Robert Nuttleman, He's a principal attorney at Nuttleman Law Firm, and he's representing employees and employers in federal and state court, as well as proceedings before Labor Commissioner, Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, Department of Fair Employment and Housing, and Unemployment Insurance Appeals Board. He also advises business clients in employment matters in an attempt to avoid litigation and reduce potential exposure to claims of all kinds in light of developing law. Good afternoon, Robert. How are you? I'm well, AJ. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited. My pleasure. So, Robert, what led you to become a lawyer? So, when I was a kid, I loved Perry Mason. That was, you know, this whole courtroom drama. And so, I assumed <laughs> that's what that's what law is all about. And then, also, my grandfather was a lawyer for a period of time before he actually stopped being a lawyer and then became a podiatrist. He was one of those Renaissance men. And so, I, I remember going to camp one year and I we could choose classes that we could take and I took a drama class and they went around the room asking well why do you want to take the drama class and my answer is quick because oh, I want to be a lawyer <laughs> without again much under understanding of what it was and then uh-huh. as uh, as I grew I kind of looked at other things like I studied psychology for a while I did study drama both of which help out a lot in the law and then when I, as I was finishing up my undergraduate degree in psychology, I really started falling in love again with the idea of, of employment law. I love that idea of being able to figure out issues and, and come up with solutions to problems. And, mm-hmm. and it, pretty much that's what I do on a daily basis. Wow. So most employment attorneys, they represent either the employees or the employer. You represent both sides. So does this impact how you approach? I think it does. So when I f- was first in law school, I uh, volunteered at a community law center. It's now the Catherine and George Alexander Community Law Center, part of Santa Clara University. And it gave me the opportunity to actually represent indigent employees who had their rights violated. Mm-hmm. And I did labor commissioner hearings and unemployment hearings, depositions. In fact, I had a full wage and hour trial before I got out of law school. Mm-hmm. So I already had started going down that path of becoming an employment attorney from the employee perspective. Okay. And then shortly after I, you know, well, I, Technically, while I was still in law school, I had some law clerking jobs. And then when I got out of law school, I represented a few employers on their side. And what I found was coming from the employee's perspective, I could already point out some of the things that the employer was doing wrong and then make small changes to fix those things. And I think that adds a little bit to my practice in that when you come to me, whether you're on the, the employee side or the employer side, I'm going to be able to. 
identify with your side, but also be able to identify with what the other side's going to be going through. What you know, what may have motivated them? What will motivate them towards resolving an issue? What things do we need to look out for? What are some of the things that the other side's going to be doing? So I think it adds a little bit of a, a benefit to my client. Certainly from my perspective, it, it allows me to see both sides a little bit better. At least I hope that's what it does. Yeah, no, that's a good point because in uh, this situation, if you, as you rightly said, sometimes you can point out what the employers may not be doing correctly. And also, as you know, in by talking to some of your clients who are employees, that how they think and what they think. So it may not be as black and white, like it's right or wrong, but at times it's also the perception how they take it. And when you can communicate that to the employers, it can make a big difference and they may understand better that, okay, yeah, so maybe they should communicate better or whatever they need to do. Oh, absolutely. I I mean, I think perception and perspective is one of the number one reasons that there's disputes, certainly in employment situations, but probably in life. Life, Because I like to tell people if, if there is an argument between two people, there's three versions of what happened to that argument. My <laughs> yeah. version, your version, and then the jury's version. Right. Um, and that that's true in employment disputes or any other dispute. We're looking at, you know, I come into my employment relationship with my history, my experiences, and that shades how I perceive things. And my mm-hmm. employer or my employee comes in with their own perspectives. And so how... How is that impacting how we're going to communicate? You may say something a particular way that consciously or subconsciously triggers something for me, and then I'm going to respond, and that triggers something from you, for you. And sometimes taking that deep breath and being able to step back and, and look at, okay, I understand your perspective, and it's an entirely valid perspective, but there may be another side. Yeah. And particularly if we're contemplating litigation, we want to be able to understand this is what the other side may be thinking it's going to help us negotiate better and hopefully you know in the end result if we end up with a jury trial have a better understanding of maybe what a jury may or may not do yes uh, that's true so robert what does a typical day at your office looks like let's see i wake up around noon and no um <laughs> so I'm, I'm a morning guy so i do like to get started early in the morning so the first part of the morning is just getting through those emails voicemails and things from you know, the, the latter part of the day before or those that I hadn't caught up on. Um, I would say most of my day is talking to clients, helping them understand what things they should do or shouldn't do. But typically I have some meetings with prospective clients, employees that mm-hmm. are saying, hey, have my rights been violated? Did I, you know, this is what my employers happens. And so I will kind of go through the facts with them, analyze it from a legal perspective. And if there are legal violations, explain what the options are. Um, sometimes if there's not a legal violation, there are still some things we can do from a practical perspective of, hey, like, oh, your employer puts you on a performance improvement plan. You don't necessarily agree with that, but here are some things that you can do to be successful mm-hmm. and hopefully have that performance improve, improvement plan be positive. Or um, I get calls from employers, hey, we, we've got we've got this employee that we're having difficulty with. They're telling us that they need an extended leave of absence. Do we have to do that? Well, yes, you do, or why you do, don't have to. And mm-hmm. if they are, what do you need to say to them? How do we want to have that communication? Uh, how do we engage in an interactive process of providing accommodations? Or sometimes it's 
employers that want to come up with a, a new comp plan. I'm in the middle of writing a kind of a somewhat complicated commission slash bonus plan right now for one of my clients that wants to find a way to incentivize employees without significantly creating a, a, a significant liability financially, but still kind of a, a reward benefits. And there's some ways to do that correctly. So it's drafting things like that. So really, it's a lot of advice, a lot of education. I focus really a lot on education. For my employer clients, I try to get them to a point where they don't have to call me. You know, I mm-hmm. want them to learn through the situations. And with the employees, same situation, maybe I can help them with this particular problem and that will prevent a similar problem from happening again in the future. And even if there's not a legal issue that we can resolve, helping them so that they don't have to res- have this issue in the future, mm-hmm. empowering them makes a big difference. Very good. So what are some of the common mistakes employers make? <laughs> I, w- I would say, you know, okay, biggest mistakes employers make. From a legal perspective, there's wage and hour issues. Wage mm-hmm. and hour issues are probably, I would say, 10 times more common than, say, a harassment or a wrongful termination. In fact, a, a number of times an employee would come into my office complaining about, oh, I wasn't uh, treated correctly, I was harassed, or I was terminated wrongfully. And it turns out that although the circumstances may not be fair, it doesn't rise to the, uh, to the level of a violation of the law. Mm-hmm. But as we start digging into things, we find out, oh, you were paid a salary when you should have been paid hourly, you didn't get overtime, or you didn't get rest and meal breaks. And and those tend to be the, the violations that I see employers make most, like paying somebody a salary when they should have been paid hourly, not keeping track of hours work, not ensuring that employees have the opportunity to take regular rest breaks and meal breaks. I think uh, another big problem is em- employers ignore problems. You know, they somebody's not performing up to standards, and so maybe management talks amongst themselves about this employee that's not doing right, but they don't have the conversation with the employee to say, say, hey, you're not, you know, here's what you're doing now. Right. This is what we'd like you to be doing. What tools do you need in order to be able to do that? And they don't address it early enough until they get to the point of, I want to fire this person. And then they call me and say, hey, Rob, I want to fire this person. And so I go through, okay, well, tell me why you want to fire. Oh, well, they're not doing their job well and they're they're missing deadlines. Okay, great. And have you talked with them about that? Have you written that up? Well, we've had some conversations, but there's nothing in writing. Oh, okay. And then I go through like a little checklist of anything that might indicate a, a red flag. You know, have they filed a workers' compensation claim or have they let you know that they intend to become pregnant or have become pregnant or mm-hmm. anything like that? And like, oh, yeah, yeah, they did just file a workers' comp claim last week. Well, ignoring the problem and then waiting until they file a workers' comp claim or some other claim Mm -hmm. and then wanting to discipline them is going to look bad even if it was totally innocent. So let's improve that communication. So definitely communication um, is is an area that all employers and employees, I think, need to improve in and would resolve things. I mean, quite frankly, I would say the number one reason employers get sued Mm -hmm. isn't because they violate the law. Okay. It's because they've treated an employee in a way that the employee thinks is wrong or is unfair. We're in California. California has some of the most pro-employee laws in the United States. Right. And so it's very hard to comply with all those. So even an innocent business owner who's going about trying to make widgets or run their restaurant may not realize that, oh, I was supposed to do X, Y, and Z. If you're treating the employees with respect and doing your best, you're probably not going to run into problems. But if you're treating the employees poorly, 
when that employee gets fired is or is dissatisfied, they're going to go talk to an attorney like me, and that attorney's going to find something that's going wrong, mm-hmm. and you're going to get a demand letter or a lawsuit. So treating people the way not only you want to be treated, but the way you'd want your family members to be treated. That's a very good advice, Robert. And I think it's just not only the employee-employer relationship, even I would say that in any kind of interaction uh, that can make us succeed by just treating the people uh, nicely. Yeah, you know, and, and I get a little hot-blooded sometimes, so you know, I can forget that. Mm-hmm. And I, well, thankfully, I have a wonderful spouse who reminds me, like when I'm on the phone with that person that I'm having a dispute with, you know, whether it's business-wise, okay. personal life, mm-hmm. you know, I'm talking to the tow truck driver that I think charged me $10 extra, so I'm spending an hour arguing with him. And, you know, some of my wife will say, look, Rob, why? You, you know, calm down. Mm-hmm. This person has a job to do to, as well. You're just making their day worse. You're not going to make it better. How do you want to be treated? And it's like, oh, yeah, I got to follow my own advice and treat people the way that I want to be treated. You know, that, that golden rule right. spans across nations, across religions. You know, every major religion has that same kind of treat people the way you want to be treated you rule. Did. And it, it applies in the law just as well. Exactly. No, that's very true. So what are some simple things employers can do to reduce the risk of HR problems? Certainly education is a big factor. There are a number of free tools that people can use to Mm -hmm. get educated on what the law is. Look at different websites of, I would look at law firms or other like Cal Chamber that you can get updates on changes in the law. Because just ignoring a law doesn't help. You know, ignorance mm-hmm. is never an excuse. Right. And particularly, you know, each year there are new laws or a bunch of new laws that went into effect this year that require employers to change their handbooks, new different leave laws that apply, new people who you can take leave of absences for, that if you don't get an alert somehow, you're not going to know that. So Cal Chamber is an excellent source if I don't I recommend a lot of clients uh, sign up for their e-newsletters, but there's other law firms that have those as well. Um, The Department of Labor has some good uh, weekly newsletters as Mm -hmm. well as other things. I do, I have like Google searches that I just set on particular topics like sexual harassment or minimum wage. And so each week I get a little thing in my inbox. I can read those. You could probably do the same thing through Reddit or other ways to aggregate those things and just to kind of keep abreast of things. So education is big, treating people the way you want to be treated and, you know, so that they believe they're being treated fairly is important. And I also think it's fine to, to one, say, I don't know. Hmm. Sometimes an employee might ask a question like, oh, I want to do such and such. And the employer doesn't know what they should or shouldn't do. And so they make a decision. But so I, you know, say, you know, I don't know, but let me find out. Have an HR professional that you can reach out to. Some payroll companies offer HR support. Some are better than others. Obviously, you know, it's what I do. 90% of my time is helping people uh, avoid violations of the law. Right. <clears throat> Cal Chamber, I mentioned. There's other like third-party employer companies that can provide uh, HR assistance and ask those questions. Do those, those Google researches. I, I, I don't, I think Google or Bing or whatever is your search engine is a really great way to start. Just be aware of what you're looking at. Just because it's on the internet doesn't make it true, you know. And some law firm websites, I think, are better than others. I always want to look. When I'm going to do a Google search, I want to eventually get back to the statute 
or the case that actually says it, mm-hmm. as opposed to just a law firm that says this is the law but doesn't give any reference to where it comes from. So just do that little bit of extra due diligence to figure out what needs to, needs to happen. There usually are annual seminars by a host of different places where you can go on and new employment laws. Certainly, if you have five or more employees, uh, do that sexual harassment prevention training that all employers are required to ensure the employees have. Sexual harassment prevention training is an important tool in ensuring employees know what the rules are and opening up that line of dialogue for employees and employers if there are problems in the workplace. Excellent. So are there other trainings besides sexual harassment training that you would recommend? Yeah. So... There is management training. It's harder to find that sometimes. And what I mean by that is you may be an excellent employee. And so I promote you to a manager role, but you may not have the skills of being a manager. You may be a great person at doing coding, but when I put you in charge of other people who are coding, you don't have the management skills, the ability to Mm -hmm. communicate and be flexible because a good manager is going to recognize that how I work is not necessarily how you work, right. and I may need to change my approach. So there are management training seminars and workshops that you can go to to help develop those skills. Um, I have one that, that focuses on how to do corrective action with employees, you know, how to go through when somebody's not performing. Mm-hmm. We'll start with that conversation. How do we go through it? How do we approach that? How do we work with that person? Because it's much more expensive to find a new person than it is to correct a problem and give somebody the tools that they need to be able to succeed. Um, Putting aside the potential for lawsuits, it just makes a more harmonious workplace to have people functioning to the best that they can and recognizing that people have different skills and they react differently to different prompts. Right, and I think it also helps in optimizing their output. If, as you mentioned, harmony, if people are working in a very sort of a good work environment, then they are mentally at ease, they are not worried or they are not frustrated, there is no negativity, and in that environment, they'll produce more. And I think a lot of the, you look at some of the research in ways that some countries outside of the U.S. do things where they have much longer leave laws and much more generous hours and, you know, two hours in the middle of the day where, no, everybody stops work. I mean, the, there are whole towns that shut down for two hours. Right. And, you know, have lower incidences of heart attacks and high blood pressure. And there's other factors, obviously, that go into that as well. But creating that environment. Um, and there have been some high-tech companies in the last decade that have been very successful in creating, and not just high-tech companies, but high-tech companies that, that come to mind in particular, that have created an environment where it's actually enjoyable to go there. And it's they almost spoil their employees to the point where they, when they go work for another employer, it's like, what do, you mean, what do you mean I don't have free food and I don't yeah. have ping pong tables that I can, and nests that I can take a nap in? So, it, But the, there are definitely uh, benefits to providing that kind of an environment. Right, right. So the other question I have is that if there is an issue, whether it's for an employee or em- employer, there are quite a few law firms, like if how do you find sort of this is what I should be looking at? Yeah, how do you find the right attorney right, for right, you? Yeah. yeah. First, ask your friends, your family members. I think having a conversation with somebody you trust, if they know somebody, that's going to be an automatic win because their experience oftentimes will dictate that you'll more likely have a, a good experience. 
I think looking at people's websites fine. Even looking at their reviews on Google or some Yelp or Avvo.com has some decent reviews. But ultimately, it's it's a personal relationship. So it means picking up the phone, having the conversation, preferably with the attorney that's going to be representing you, and seeing if things work. I had a, a great consultation with a client the other day, spent a lot of time, did a really good education. But at the end of the conversation, she and I were both convinced we weren't appropriate to work together. I gave her really good information, but something just was not clicking. And that's fine. We both said, hey, you know, it's great. And I gave her some referrals to some other attorneys Mm -hmm. that she might click with better. And that's that's okay. Being willing to to reach out and have that conversation. Now, some attorneys like me, I do charge for my services. There are some who provide free consultations and those can be great. Sometimes you get what you pay for. You hear a lot of that like in personal injury cases, a free consultation, you pay nothing unless we win. And there are plenty of employment attorneys on the plaintiff side who do that. Um, and some of them are very good. It's just not the model I use. I When I analyze a case, we're probably going to spend 45 minutes to an hour going through everything because I'm not only evaluating the case, I'm evaluating you and you should be evaluating me. Do I feel knowledgeable? Do I feel confident? Do I, are you getting a good feeling? Am I communicating with you in a way that's effective? And, you know, as much as I'd love to be able to do my job for free, I I do got to pay my bills eventually at some point in time. So I I do charge for the services. Absolutely. And, uh what do you think are the key differentiators? Like, why should anyone consider you? Oh, aside from my genuine, just, you know, great demeanor. No, um, <laughs> so, I, again, because I do both sides, I'm mm-hmm. employer and employee side, I do think it gives me a slight advantage over firms that only do one side or the other. I'm also the guy. Like when you call, I'm the one who's more likely than not going to be the one returning the phone call. Um, I'm pretty accessible that way. It gives me the ability to directly interact with the client. I'm not going to be shoveling you off to some subordinate to do the work. Part of that is because I have systems and ways that I like to do things, and I think things that work. I'm pretty much a straight shooter. If I think that you have problems with your case, I'm going to tell you you got problems. Mm-hmm. If I think that you're making a bad decision going down a particular path, I'm going to tell you that. I'm also going to tell you how I would handle things. You know, there's oftentimes you know, a multitude of ways that you can approach a situation. I mm-hmm. will tell you what those options are, and I will tell you what what I would recommend and why, and what are the different consequences. What do I think is going to happen? If we do this, yeah, we can do a scorched earth defense, and we could, you know, just come out guns a-blazing, mm-hmm. and you're going to spend a lot of money, they're going to spend a lot of money, and, you know, you're going to spend years in litigation, or maybe we take a slightly different approach. There's times when there's one one path is better than the other. So I think providing as much education so that my clients can really make an informed decision is, is my goal. Cool. Would you like to share any scenarios, like, you know, some of the issues, problems you solved? I know, I mean, it's confidential in terms of like, you know, privacy and all that, like what you do, but in a generic sense, sure. the reason I'm asking this is more for listeners to even think about, like sometimes employers may not even think that this could be a problem. Mm -hmm. They think, oh, this this can never be a problem. (laughs) And oh, uh, until something hits. uh, So it's, that's where I'm coming from. Yeah, I'm I'm always looking for ways to identify issues before they become problems. But Mm -hmm. unfortunately, that's not always the case. Oftentimes somebody will come to me, problems have already happened, disgruntled employee, or you know, the employee's been wronged and they want to do something. I think I have the most opportunity to affect 
effectuate change when I'm representing on the employer side in the sense that I can help direct kind of what the employer does or doesn't do. I Sometimes it's as simple as a call. I had one client, they were a client for years, and historically I'd get these calls, hey Rob, I got another complaint they filed with the EEOC or the DFEH or the Labor Commissioner and all these things, and mm-hmm. you know I need you to defend me. And then we'd spend you know several thousands of dollars defending the case, and you know, usually with good results, but still it was time consuming. I'm having to interview employees. And I kept telling him, you, know, you should call me before you fire. Mm-hmm. And so finally this gentleman called me and said, okay, Rob, you told me I should call you. I want to fire this guy. Can I do it? Okay, well, tell me why you want to fire. Well, you know, he's not getting doing very well in his job. He's getting much slower. You know, he's older. He's looking to probably retire soon. He keeps getting injured on the job. And I just don't think he can physically do it. So first of all, I thanked him for calling me because you identified three different protected characteristics which you cannot use as a basis to fire somebody. Mm-hmm. Age, disability, workers' comp claim. So we can't make decisions based on that. So I started talking with him about, well, you know, what else? Tell me a little bit more about what other positions you have. He's like, well, you know, because the guy was a, a driver. Mm-hmm. And he just was not happy. He was really moody and didn't like it. Mm-hmm. But he had been doing it for 30 years. They had this other job, a dispatch job. I'm like, well, why don't you see if he's interested in the dispatch job? It, it pays the same. The hour is a little bit less because mm-hmm. it's full time, but it's not a lot of overtime. See if he's interested in that job. Well, but he's not going to do a good job. Well, maybe, but then we can go through the process of identifying what he's doing wrong. We can help coach him and, and give him a chance to succeed at least. So, okay, fine. He offers the guy the job, does a great job, works for another two years, retires. Not a single problem with it. The guy was just unhappy and didn't like the job right, he was doing. Right. And, and, and he and the employee knew that physically he was not able to do the job anymore, but he didn't he thought that if he wasn't doing that, he'd be have no, he'd have no job and he wasn't ready to retire yet. It just happened that that solution presented itself because my client called me ahead of time where we could explore those options. That, so I like to me that was a, that was a bigger win than I just finished right, a, right. I just finished a three week jury trial where uh, you know, I was on the defense side and uh, we were very happy with the outcome. But that was five years of litigation. My client spent a lot of money to get there and I like those elegant, less expensive results whenever possible. Awesome. So we are almost towards the end of the show. So very quick question. What is key to your success? I think playing to my strengths. There are some things that I do well and I know I do well. I think I have very good relationships with people. That's clients, that's opposing sides, opposing parties, for the most part. I think that plays well, and I like to pay attention to details. So I play to those, but I also acknowledge where I don't have the greatest strengths. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I I seek to improve those in some ways. And other areas, it's like, look, I'm just not going to be good at this, so I'm going to have somebody else do this. Outsource it. Yeah, there are people who can advise people on tax issues and things like that. Not me. That's not me. I cannot do taxes. I have no desire to do taxes. I will refer you to some good people that can do that. So knowing what I can do, knowing what I can't, and not being able to, you know, not being afraid to tell my clients, look, that's just, that's not my wheelhouse. It's not something that I, you know, you can hire me to do it, but I can probably find somebody who's going to be better. Let me get you somebody who's going to be better. I think that that really makes a big difference. Great. This is very valuable information. So, Robert, I really want to thank you for your time today. Thank you, for AJ. I really appreciate the opportunity. So, listeners, if you want to reach Robert Nittleman, you can find him. He has two locations in San Jose and Pleasanton. He has his own law firm, and if there are any employment-related questions, 
He's a great resource. So thank you for joining us on Business by the Bay today. The show was brought to you by Payroll Vault. And I would like to just say to the listeners, you all take care and have a wonderful weekend. Business by the Bay with your host, Ajay Sani. Join us next time as we discuss challenges businesses face and possible solutions.